Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're going to read Colossians 1, 15-29. So follow along on the screen. I assume it'll be up there. If not, I'll read it off of this. There we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is a first, and quite possibly a last. I am bringing you the teaching from the Word today. That in itself is a great honor and an even greater responsibility. The right right handling of God's Word is non-negotiable. Woe betide anyone who deceives this body. So rather than risk it, I've chosen to do what old biblical scholars call plagiarize. Truth be told, though, I have prayed about it. I've never felt led to preach. And I've not felt a spiritual tug in that direction still. John Piper is a person well known to many of you. He is what I call a Reformed Baptist, although that is an appellation I chose for him. He has not approved my use of it. Um, The reason I chose Piper's sermon for this passage is that when I read through it, I was very satisfied with the way Piper handled a vexatious part of the text that is the focus of today's teaching. Perhaps you noticed it. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, 
And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. That must set off some alarm bells, right? Your hackles are starting to twitch. Paul is claiming to be going around fixing what Jesus missed in the atonement. Jesus' death on the cross, his afflictions lacked something. Better yet, something that Paul, though surely the greatest evangelist of his age, could make up for. Well, since we know that that's not what Paul was saying, it's important that we delve into exactly what he is saying because we can't just gloss over it. It's at this point important to remember what the purpose of this letter was. Earlier when we read the beginning of chapter 1, it became clear Paul is writing to the faithful saints, the believers who were not just on the periphery, but were solid members of this congregation. He was writing to warn them off of being deceived, of heresy. We will be delving into that as we go through the letter, but suffice it to say that many of these bedrock statements that we already saw in verses like 12, 13, 14, 15, those were Paul shoring up teachings that had already been delivered to these people. That's what he's referring to when he says, if you cling to the gospel that you were given. He's not saying that you can lose your faith. He's saying you can follow a false gospel. And it's very easy to follow a false gospel because they're on offer all the time. And even in 2023, they're on offer. We need to be on guard just as the first century Colossians needed to be on guard. Mr. Piper will take us through a breakdown of this passage that shows us that Paul had a definite meaning in his wording, which is peculiar in the Greek language. And now I will be reading from John Piper's sermon titled, To Finish the Aim of Christ's Afflictions. I want to focus on verse 24 of Colossians 1, 24 through 29. And Paul's, quote, filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions, end quote. How could anything be lacking in Christ's afflictions? Was not his suffering and death for us utterly all-sufficient? So what does he mean in verse 24, and how does it apply to us? To see verse 24 properly, let's look at it in connection with the rest of the verses. Starting at verse 29, let's go backwards and sum up what Paul is saying in this paragraph. Verse 29, Paul says that there is a purpose for which he labors. And the striving, the agonizing of this labor is not merely his own energy. It is the power of Christ mightily working in him. Verse 28 describes the purpose that Paul labors for, namely, to present everyone that he reaches, quote, complete in Christ. And he does this by proclaiming Christ, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone. This is Paul's ceaseless labor, which Christ energizes. Verses 26 through 27 define more explicitly what Paul proclaims and teaches. It's called a mystery. In verse 26, Not because it can't be understood, but because it has been hidden for ages and has now been revealed 
to the saints. Then verse 27 describes the riches of the glory of this mystery. It is, quote, Christ in you, that is to say Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is not revealed fully in, this pa- in the past ages was that the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, would actually reach out to non-Jewish nations and indwell non-Jewish people. That he would actually live in them and give to them the promise of Abraham, the hope of glory in the kingdom of God with all the saints. But now this mystery is being revealed and Paul is proclaiming Christ and teaching everywhere that the indwelling of the Messiah and the hope of the glory of God belong to all who trust Christ and really hope in the glory of God. We found that earlier in chapter 1, verse 4 and 23. Verse 25 simply states that this proclamation of Christ is a fulfilling of stewardship that God has given to Paul to spread God's word. He is a servant of the church and a steward of God. His charge is to take the word of God to all nations. Offer to them the hope of glory and call them to faith. And so he is a minister of the church by gathering God's chosen ones from among the nations. He teaches and admonishes them so that they can be presented complete in Christ. Verse 24 says that the ministry, this ministry of extending the mystery of Christ and the hope of glory to the nations and then admonishing and teaching them involves suffering. Quote, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now what does this mean when Paul suffers for the church? Extending the hope of glory to more and more people and teaching them about the mystery of Christ and suffering. In doing this, he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. How can any man fill up that which is surely as full as any suffering could be? I think that the context that we just looked over in reverse suggests that Paul's suffering fill up Christ's not by adding anything to their worth, but by extending them to the people they were meant to bless. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is not that they are deficient in worth or merit, as though they could not sufficiently cover the sins of all who believe. What is lacking is that infinite value of Christ's afflictions are not known in the world. They are still a mystery hidden to most peoples. And God's intention is that this mystery be revealed, extended to all the Gentiles. So the afflictions are lacking in the sense that they are not seen and not known among the nations. They must be carried by ministers of the word. And those ministers of the word fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ by extending them to others. There is a strong confirmation of this interpretation. Paul uses similar words in Philippians chapter 2, verse 30. 
there was a man named Epaphroditus in the church at Philippi. When the church there gathered support for Paul, probably gathering up a bunch of um, money and supplies and perhaps scrolls, they decided to send them to Paul in Rome by the hand of Epaphroditus. In his travels with this offering, Epaphroditus almost loses his life. Verse 27 says that he was sick to the point of death, but God spared him. Then in verse 29, Paul tells the church in Philippi to honor Epaphroditus when he comes back and give him, and he gives this reason in verse 30. These words are very similar to Colossians 1.24. Quote, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. That sounds familiar. Now in the original, the phrase completing what was deficient in your service to me is almost the same as filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction in Colossians 1.24. In what sense then was the service of the Philippians to Paul lacking? And in what sense did Epaphroditus fill it up? A hundred years ago, a commentator named Marvin Vincent, I think, gets it exactly right. So this is now me quoting John Piper, quoting Marvin Vincent. It's very meta. The gift to Paul was a gift of the church as a body. It was a sacrificial offering of love. What was lacking, and what would have been grateful to Paul and to the church alike, was that the church present this offering in person. This was impossible, and Paul represents Epaphroditus as supplying this lack by his affectionate and zealous ministry. Back to Piper. I think this is exactly what the words mean in Colossians 1.24 as well. Christ has prepared a love offering for the world by suffering and by dying for sinners. It is full and lacking nothing except one thing, a personal presentation by Christ himself to the nations of the world and the people of your workplace. God's answer to this lack is to call the people of Christ, people like Paul, to present the afflictions of Christ to the world, to carry them from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. In doing this, we do fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. We finish what they were designed for, namely a personal presentation to the world of people who do not know about their infinite worth yet. But notice how Paul says this in verse 24. He says that it is his sufferings, in his sufferings and in his flesh, that, he's, that his actual suffering body, that he does his share in filling up the afflictions. So Paul sees a very close connection between his sufferings and Christ's sufferings. What this means, I think, is that God intends for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world through the afflictions of his people. God really means for the body of Christ, which is the church, to experience some of the suffering he experienced. So that when we offer Christ, the Christ of the cross to people, they see Christ in the cross in us. We are to make the afflictions of Christ real for people by the afflictions we experience in offering him to them 
and living the life of love he lived. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Christ wills to have a personal presentation of his sufferings to the world. And the way he means to offer himself as a sufferer for the world is through people like you. People like Paul, who was willing to suffer for the world, his sufferings are completed in our sufferings. When the world sees his and they have their appointed effects. The suffering love of Christ for sinners is seen in the suffering love of people for sinners. Let me say that again. The suffering love of Christ for sinners is seen in the suffering love of his people for sinners. I think what we see in Colossians 1.24 is living out of Jesus' words in Mark 8, 35, quote, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it. The pathway of salvation is a pathway of, quote, losing one's life for the sake of the gospel. The point is that taking the gospel to people either across the room or across the world ordinarily requires sacrifice and suffering. Losing a life or denying a life. This is the way Christ meant for his saving sufferings to be taken to the world through the sufferings of his people. Paul says he rejoices in that. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. The Calvary road is not a joyless road. It's a painful one, but it's a profoundly happy one. When we choose the fleeting pleasures of comfort and security over the sacrifices and sufferings of missions and evangelism and ministry and love, we choose against joy. We choose broken cisterns that can hold no water and we reject the spring of water whose waters never fail. That's from Isaiah. The happiest people in the world are the people who know the mystery of Christ in them. The hope of glory satisfying their deep longings, freeing them to extend the sufferings of Christ through their own to the world. God is calling us in this text to live for the sake of the gospel. And to do that through suffering. Christ chose suffering. It didn't just happen to him. He chose it. He chose it as a way to create and perfect the church. Now he calls us to choose suffering. That is, he calls us to take up our cross and to follow him on the Calvary road and deny ourselves and make sacrifices for the sake of presenting his suffering to the world and ministering to the church. I just heard a memorable way of saying this from the Romanian pastor mission leader, Joseph Tsan. He said, Christ's cross was for propitiation and our cross is for propagation. 
That is to say, Christ suffered to accomplish salvation. We suffer to spread the news of that salvation. And our willingness to endure hardship for the good of others is filling up Christ's afflictions because it extends them to others and makes them visible. I'll note here, this is a story that Piper recounts. I have removed his preamble for brevity. There was a story of an indigenous missionary who walked barefoot from village to village preaching the gospel in India. His hardships were many, and after a long day of many miles and much discouragement, he came to a certain village and tried to speak the gospel but was driven out of town and rejected. He went to the edge of the village, dejected, and laid down under a tree and slept from exhaustion. When he awoke, people were hovering over him, and the whole town was gathered around him to hear him speak. The headman of the village explained that they came to look him over while he was sleeping, fearing him dead. When they saw his blistered feet, they concluded he must be a holy man and that they had been evil to reject him. They were sorry and they wanted to hear the message that he was willing to suffer so much to bring them. So this evangelist filled up the afflictions of Jesus with his beautiful blistered feet. This is the end of Piper's sermon. I would like to reflect on a few of the points and remark on the obvious problem we face when we hear these words. First, someone who has gone through hardship telling you something will be listened to more readily than someone who goes through little or no effort. Think of the impact of a handwritten letter versus a spam email. Looking around to make sure everybody knows what a written letter is. <laughs> probably just probably just Creighton. People write letters out longhand. We could walk on bare feet to gain blisters, to make our suffering known. That would be performative, though. There are other ways, though, that you can expend true effort. And suffer in your own way to make your gospel news more effective. I see Mormon missionaries walking in the summer sun in their ties. I imagine their their witness is made more effective by the effort they expend to share it. Our message is far more valuable. Yet do we suffer in sharing it to our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors? perfect strangers and lastly we have we have it pretty good nowadays right open up pretty much any page of the gospel and you will hear of the disciples or Jesus and some of his friends going to some place and you look that place up in the map in the back of your handy dandy bible and you realize that they were basically like us going to Fruta or maybe to Beck and yet these were, these were big travels, worthy of mention in, in, the, in the gospel. 
Most of us don't think twice to go to Fruta for a pizza or to ride a bike, or maybe both. I'm flying to California Tuesday for work. Mark's in Cape Cod. Yet Paul's travels during his missionary time fill up an entire map in the back of those same Bibles. So we praise God for the vastly different world we have today that makes so many things easy compared to what Paul and Epaphroditus had to deal with. I said earlier, we don't want to suffer because we think Jesus' afflictions were not sufficient. We want to suffer to show others how important our gospel good news is. So do not suffer to show off. Remember, Jesus remarked on those who do that. It's not good. When I was studying economics in college, one of the more interesting insights they have is something called opportunity cost. Perhaps you've heard of it. Simply put, your opportunity cost is the value of the next best thing you could do with whatever resource we're evaluating. In sharing the gospel, the resource we need is usually our most valuable one, and that is time. Show people how valuable your message is by expending your time to share it with them. Expend true effort and sacrifice your time your comfort, your treasure, and others will notice and they will want to hear more because you value the message so highly. Amen? Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Paul. We thank you for your servant, Mr. Piper. who helps us to learn through our confusion and our difficult interpretation of those words, Lord. If your spirit had led Paul to say these words so plainly, Lord, we may not have focused on them today and we may have missed a valuable lesson. So through that mystery, Lord, we learn and we are humbled. Help us to put these words into practice, Lord. Help us to go forth and show people how valuable your grace and your gospel is. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.